Pope Francis said in 2019 Christmas sermon, Christmas is a joy, religious joy, an inner joy of a light and peace. I, I really like his definition and description of a Christmas. Christmas is a joy, but not any kind of joy, but religious joy. That means it's a revealed joy. It is a holy joy. It's not a materialistic joy that we just enjoy one day. This is an eternal joy of God. And such a joy is full of light and peace. Wherever Christmas is celebrated, God's light shines and scatters darkness and fears. Speaking of fears, did you know the number one fear in our country last year? In 2021, number one fear of people in America, in the world, was the growth of autocracy. So Atlantic Magazine, December issue, the main article was, do we have the picture? Was that bad guys are winning. Oh, we don't have the picture? Okay, bad guys are winning. And uh, in, that, in that actually magazine cover, the five, five men on the cover were the president of Venezuela and Belarus and Russia and China and Turkey, and they are all dictators. An article said, if a 20th century was a story of a slow, uneven progress toward the victory of a liberal democracy over other ideologies, such as a communism, fascism, and virulent nationalism, the 21st, 21st century so far is a story of a reverse. That means the bad guys are winning in our time. And every year, Chapman University in Southern California surveys the top 10 annual fears of uh, people in the United States of America. And top 10 fears found in 2022 survey suggest that America's fear, Americans' fear, centered on the five topics. Number one, corrupt government officials, as we've been seeing in the news. Number two, harm to loved one. And number three, Ukraine war and its escalation. Number four, environmental concerns. And number five, economic concerns. So what was your fear this year? Or what is your fear now? What dark concerns are still hovering over, your, over you or casting uh, shadows on you? I want everyone to know that Christmas means God's gift of joy and peace. You know, Christmas story in the Bible is a couched in the context of a fear. For instance, Gospel of Matthew told us a Christmas story through the fear of a Joseph who thought that Mary, his betrothed wife, secretly betrayed him and his future and reputation was tarnished forever until the angel informed him about the virgin birth. And the Gospel of Luke, Luke also gave us his Christmas story through the fear and shame of a faithful, old, yet barren couple named Zacharias and Elizabeth. Christ came to us in the middle of fears and brought us God's wonder of love and joy. That's the story that we will read and reflect on today. So God of Christmas is a God of a highest joy. With that, let's read our text, Luke chapter 2, 
verse uh, 8 to, I think, 20. So let's read together responsibly. So I'm going to read first, and you read the uh, next verse. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I will bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be signed to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of a heavenly host appeared with an angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When angels has left them and gone into the heaven, shepherds has to say to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem, see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. And all who heard it was amazed at, that, at what the shepherds said to them. But the Mary treasured all these things, pondered them in our heart. Shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they'd been told. Flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. Amen. The first people that God revealed the great news, the greatest news of a Messiah's coming, was a bunch of shepherds. This magnitude, the magnitude of this announcement cannot be fully measured. The promise of a Messiah was finally fulfilled and revealed. From the first messianic prophecy in Genesis chapter 3 to the last messianic prophecy in Malachi 3, last book of the Bible, the Old Testament, Abraham, Moses, David, and all the prophets and faithful in Old Testament had been waiting for this day to come. And finally came. Have you seen? You know, the only remote analogy, almost crude analogy, to the realization of God's redemptive promise would be the rejoicing of Argentinians for their World Cup championship. Have you seen this clip of an Argentinian, you know, a caster named Andres Cantor? Just watch for a few, you know, a few seconds. Do we, hopefully, technical. Yeah. Do we have that? Okay, try again. I don't know what happened to the screen. I mean the videos. But you can hear the sound. Okay. Somehow, today, the technical difficulty with the video is, uh, you know, consistent in the mo morning service and this afternoon service, maybe. The link that I gave is wrong. 
But point is this. Andreas Cantor is a famous uh, uh, football, I mean, soccer on, you know, commentator and announcer. He's the guy who, you know, uh, is famous saying goal for like a minute. You know what I'm talking about? Goal, you know, that's him. He was so happy he lost his word. You know, in, in, if you go to YouTube, you'll find things that Campeón del Mundo, Argentina Campeón del Mundo, champion of the world, like 10 times. Later, when he was asked why he was so emotional and speechless, he said, he's been waiting for this day for 36 years. 36 years. And they, he said, if a Messi couldn't win a Argent, you know, World Cup for Argentina, he said, maybe he will never see another day Argentina winning World Cup. So it's like a, he's saying, he's crying because I can die now with this joy. That was what he was saying. So if a 36 years of waiting makes one this much happy, can you imagine entire Jewish, Jewish people, their history of 1,800 years of waiting, and today is finally over with the birth of a Messiah? Now, big question I have for all of us to think. Why did God first announce the good news of Christmas to a bunch of shepherds? In the Gospel of Matthew, the first recipient of good news was a magi, the noble scholars and royalties from the East. And the Jewish you know, recipient were, in the Gospel of Matthew was the established you know, Jewish leaders in Jerusalem in the court of Herod, the king. Luke tells us the first people who got the Christmas tiding was none other than shepherds in Bethlehem. You know, God did not reveal Christmas tiding to faithful, law-abiding Pharisees who were the most religiously dedicated Jews at the time, or Sadducees who res resided in the Jerusalem temple all the time, or the spiritual, mystical, you know, essence in the desert. But God first revealed Christmas to ignorant, ignominious shepherd. The God who announced the birth of his son to the shepherd is a God who wants to give the highest joy to everyone. Amen? So today I want to share with you the three signs that reveal our highest joy of God in Christmas. So first sign that God announced Christmas to shepherd is a God of poor. You know, God of you know, highest joy is a God of poor and outcasts and outsiders. Why do I call shepherds not just the poor but outcasts and outsiders? Look at the verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Shepherds were literally outsiders because they are living out in the field. You know, they did not have a home somewhere. So don't confuse the shepherds with the modern dairy farmers. Their home was out in the field. That means they were living in a tent. They were like, you know, Bedouins, the modern, you know, nomads in the Middle East, whose social reputation is no better than those uh, uh, wandering, you know, gypsies in Europe. They were poor because of their livelihood depended on their flocks of sheep and goat. And then sheep and goat requires 24-7 cares. As a result, you know, shepherds 
they could not go to the temple or even synagogue and participate in you know, all the regular Jewish you know, religious festivals and the activities. By the way, I think uh, pet owners understand this better. You know, dog owners, when you go uh, to a vacation or some kind of trip, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? What happened to our dog? Who's, who's going to, you know, who's, who's going to be dog sitting? I have uh, two dog owners in my household right now with their two dogs who drove 1,500 miles, you know, all the way. Anyway, these shepherds, they, because of uh, their job, their profession, you know, they couldn't jump through the, all the hoops set by the religious people like the Pharisees and Sadducees. And that's why I call them outsiders and outcasts. Biblical commentators say this, that we shouldn't romanticize occupation of a shepherd. That means we ought to remove any romantic, idyllic picture of a shepherd, especially our Christmas nativity scene. You know, we see... You know, you know, Mary holding baby and Joseph, you know, kindly looking, you know, lovely looking into and the shepherd is all kind of... We, 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 we see this kind of very lovely, lovely idea of a nativity scene. It's a far from the reality. At that time, shepherds were so poor that they had a poor reputation. They were desperately poor. So they were actually called sinners along with the tax collectors and prostitutes and all those devious people because they're so desperately poor. How would you feel if those, you know, those undocumented migrant you know, uh, refugees in the uh, Texas border, they all of a sudden came and then you know, they're, they, they're, they're camping out near your you know, neighborhood? How would you feel? That's how a lot of people felt about the shepherd. Today, I want us to recognize and know for clear, the biblical, clear biblical fact, some of them is a new fact to you. According to Joachim Jeremiah, noted uh, uh, a New Testament biblical uh, uh, scholar, overall picture of shepherds in the ancient Near Eastern world was negative. And we shouldn't confuse this historical reality with a few passages in the Bible especially in the Psalms, which talks positively about the shepherds. You know, Psalms make a shepherds uh, literary ideals. Don't confuse the literary ideals with the actual social ideals. Throughout the Bible, overall picture of shepherds was negative. When 12 tribes of Israel migrated to Egypt, they encountered the Egyptians who were farmers. Farmers means they are more advanced, more evolved. And then as a farmers, farmers, they despise the shepherding because sheep and goat means that's to their crop. Sheep and goat, they just eat their crops. To farmers, they hate, you know, uh, shepherds. The battle, conflict between farmer and shepherds as old as they are fierce. By the way, first murder in the Bible was farmer named Cain, Killing shepherd named Abel in Genesis chapter 4. In the course of 400 years, Egyptians prejudiced Israelite attitude toward the shepherding. 
and Israelites, they came to promised land. After settling down in Palestine, Israelites became farmers. And shepherding, you know, uh, ceased to hold this uh, prominent, you know, position, position. And as Israelites acquired more farmland and pastoring decreased, shepherding became a manual vocation of a laboring class. Shepherding had not just lost its widespread appeal, it eventually, according to Joachim Jeremiah, forfeited its social acceptability. Some shepherded on their poor reputation. Others became victims of a cruel stereotype. Religious leaders maligned the shepherd's good name. Some rabbis banned the pastoring sheep and goat in land of Israel except the desert plain areas. They were treated like lepers. The Mishnah, the Jewish written record of oral law, you know, has plenty of examples of this kind of prejudice against the shepherd. One passage described them like incompetent. It's like uh, today in the capitalist world, we call the poor people lazy people. You know, they are poor because they're lazy to learn and improve and get educated and make better their life. You know, a lot of people are poor in spite of their hard work. Some of our poverty is a systemic problem. Don't forget that. Especially the you know, immigrant, first generation, second generation immigrant, they, you know, those successful immigrants, they have that kind of attitude. Poor or lazy? Not really, not really. Another says that no one could ever, you know, another rabbi said, when you find the shepherds fell into the, some kind of dangerous situation, you don't have to rescue them. Rabbi told their members, you know, they are not, you don't, don't render humanitarian aid to shepherds. As a result, shepherds were deprived of uh, many civil rights, including any judicial participation and membership. Did you know shepherds couldn't be the witnesses in the legal, legal court in Israel? That's the shepherd. Into this social context of religious snobbery and class prejudice, Son of God was born, and how surprising Surprising, significant is that our Father, God Father, handpicked lowly outcast shepherds to hear the joyous news of Christmas. First, this is a surprise audience that God picked. Amen? Question why? God, who gave the first Christmas news to shepherds, it's a God who calls everybody, even unworthy people like a shepherd, to hear the good news about life. Amen? Look at the verse 9. Angels of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. You know, actually, Greek text said that terrified is actually poor. English is, uh, translation here is really missed the point. Because the Greek text said that they feared with a great fear. Uh, so original text is that they phobia with a megaphobia. That's the, you know, what Greek text says. I bet this shepherd, when they saw all of a sudden there is a, you know, angel of the Lord next to them, I bet they had a heart attack. You know, have you, see, have you, you know, seen someone who 
kind of saw some, something unexpected, some place of uh, expected. You know, uh, I used to do this when my, you know, when my children are younger. When I saw one of them going to a bathroom in our uh, second floor, I just silently go out and stay in the hallway. And then when they come out and turn on the hallway light, there I'm smiling, you know, like a horror movie smile. And they got, they freaked out, you know. I used to do that a lot, and I stopped doing that because when they do the same surprise to me, I said, that's not good. You know, that's why, why do you do that to your, you know, loving father? So I stopped doing that. That's kind of, a, you know, I mean, it's an exponential surprise. They turn, they say, angel of the Lord, angel of the Lord. And the Lord, angel said, verse 10, do not be afraid. I bring a good news that will cause a great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. is a Messiah, the Lord. This will be signed to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. You know, do not be afraid is the most repeated command in the Old Testament. Today, angel told the shepherds of Christmas, shepherds that Christmas is aware Great fears are defeated by great joy. You know, he said that I'm bringing you good news that will cause a great joy for all the people. The great joy, literally mega joy. Why? God became a human for good so humans can receive God's blessings. That's the second sign of Christmas. The second sign of Christmas points out God of highest joy is a God of peace. God of peace. Look at the verse 13. Suddenly a great company of a heavenly hosts appeared with the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven on earth. Peace to those on whom favor rests. Right after the angel of the Lord announced the good tidings of Christmas, angelic hosts of heaven, innumerable angelic you know, crowd or chorus appeared and they gave a heavenly concert on the earth. And once again, to the poor shepherds, our commentator said, original Christmas night was not a silent night, but a holy, beautifully, loudly sounding night. And angels say that God receives his glory when his peace rests and reigns in the world. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to all those whom his favor rests. You know, uh, rest. By the way, the peace to those on whom his favor rests, we're not talking about, the text is not talking about God gives a favor to selective people, whoever he gives a favor. That's not what text is talking. Actually, Greek text is saying the peace among people, anthropos, with whom he is well pleased. Earlier in the verse 10, angel said, this Joy, this news will cause a great joy to all people. So peace that God wished is to all people. So when the angel left them, gone into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem, see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph, and behold, the baby who was laying in the manger. Angel said, God's promise or news of Christmas was a peace on earth. You know, peace is not, this peace on the verse 14 that angels proclaim, is not any kind of peace. It's a peace of God. 
You know, peace was an important concept at the time. The Roman Empire justified and promoted its brutal conquest and the colonization in the name of a peace. They call it Pax Romana or Roman peace. So peace that God's favor brings to us is not peace made by human powers and human, you know, promises, political ideologies. Peace of God comes from God's forgiveness. Do you know peace comes from grace, and grace means God's forgiveness? You know, Charles Brent, American Episcopal missionary to the Philippines and uh, a bishop in the early 20th century, once said this, Peace comes when there is no cloud between us and God. Peace is a consequence of a forgiveness. God's removal of that which obscures his face and so breaks union with him. Only thing that hides God's face from us is our sin. Only thing breaks our union with God is our disobedience. So, when God forgives us, peace comes. And when God sent his son, this is a God's dedication, commitment, and sign and act that I want to forgive you through this baby and him. To rest the peace, his peace on us, God renders his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. According to Mishnah, you know, she found between Jerusalem and Bethlehem were actually called a sacred ship because they were used for temple sacrifice. So, Raymond Brown very, you know, uh, wrote two seminal books on the birth of a Messiah and death of a Messiah on his book. He's, he he speculates with a strong, you know, sub, you know substantial you know, uh, base. He said, this Bethlehem shepherd, probably they supplied some of their best ship to Jerusalem temple for their business. And today, these Bethlehem shepherds were unknowingly witnessing ultimate Lamb of God. Imagine when they found that the baby Messiah they saw was not just a Messiah or Lion of Judah, what Jewish people call the Lamb of God. To give us a peace, God gave us his heart, his holy son, as our sacrifice. C.S. Lewis explained this divine blessing much clearer in the mere Christianity. It's a little long, but let me read. God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God desires a human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirit was designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. That means Christianity here. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There's no such a thing. C.S. Lewis is absolutely right. There is no peace and happiness apart from God. God himself is a source of a peace, source of a happiness. 
and the peace. Miroslav Bov, a Croatian, Croatian theologian, further explains you know, this in the Christmas sermon. Today, I'm going to call several Christmas sermons. This is one, okay? So I have uh, three more to go. And uh, yeah, this is a, but uh, I wasn't lazy because I read entire sermon. I selected. So don't, don't call me lazy, okay? I'm not lazy. All right, I just want to say. Okay, so wake up and listen. This is a very good quotation. He said, joy meant simply feeling good. If joy meant simply feeling good, we could take a joy pill or smoke weed or take a drug and rejoice. But we can't. Because joy means feeling good about something good. Joy is about feeling good about something good. So it depends on the object of your joy, your joy will last. And the true everlasting joy comes from what is good and true and beautiful forever. That is none other than God. In order to give us joy, God gave his son. Amen? St. John, uh, John Chrysostom, a.k.a. Golden Tongue, because he was the best preacher in the early church. In his Christmas sermon, he elaborated the joy and privilege of God's incarnation this way. The only begotten one who is uh, before all ages, who cannot be touched or perceived, has now put on my body, which is uh, visible and liable to the corruption. For what reason that coming amongst us, he may teach us and teaching lead us by hand to the things that we mortals cannot see. For since we believe that eyes are more trustworthy than ears, we doubt that which we do not see. So he has a design to show himself in bodily presence that he may remove all doubt. Christ became human to remove all our doubt. Truly wondrous is a whole chronicle of a nativity. For this day, the ancient slavery sin is ended. The devil confounded. The demons takes to flight. The power of death is broken. For this day, paradise is unlocked. The curses are taken away. Sin is removed. Arrow driven away. Truth has been brought back. A heavenly way of life has been implanted on the earth. Why is this? Because God is now on the earth so that humans can be in heaven. Amen? Christ was born in human flesh so that you and I can be born in God's heart. Let me bring the final point. The final sign of Christmas is a God of highest joy, is a God of good news. So far I talked about, here we see three kinds of sins. Surprise sin that God spoke uh, you know, God invited the shepherd, this uh, outcast, you know, lowly shepherd, to you know, to witness the Christmas, and then you know, and second, it was a sacred sin of uh, the the virgin mother and the baby in a manger, and then and the third sin, God the good shepherd. I want to talk about strange sin, strange sin. That strange scene is that when we experience God's news, we become also good news to other people. Look at the verse 17. 
when the shepherds seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherd returned and glorifying and praising God for all the things they have heard and seen, which were just as they've been told. You know, word amaze is a favorite word term of a look and appeared 13 times in the Gospel of Luke, more than any, any books in the, more than anywhere in the, in the New Testament. Now, why were people amazed when shepherd talks about their Christmas, you know, uh, uh, whatever experience? They were surprised because, amazed, because of the joy and excitement of a shepherds in town. Do you remember? Shepherds are not encouraged to come near the town except maybe selling the sheep. Today, they, these shepherds, not only in the town, they are talking to people. They are approaching people proactively. That's a strange scene. Do you catch? they supposed to, and then worse, and the most strange part of it, where is the sheep? These shepherds is without sheep. Because they saw angel in the middle of the night, and they want to go to see Bethlehem, the newborn Messiah. But sheep, they don't know what the Messiah is. So when shepherds say, let's go, and sheep say, oh, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not, you go. I, you know. So they probably left the sheep to the, one of the lowest shepherds, and they all went. So here's a bunch of shepherds without sheep in the town of Bethlehem, talking, you know, so with, a, with a incredible, you know, joy and excitement. And people say, What's going on? This is a strange scene. Strange scene. They are not talking about bargaining price about sheep. They are saying that Messiah is born. He's in the midst of us. People wake up. This is a strange scene. You know, uh, in the morning service, in the, we have an early Zoom service. After the service, we are sharing our reflections on the passage. And then, you know, Daniel Clark made a very, uh, you know, a very uh, uh, insightful, you know, kind uh, uh, guess. And that was the, uh, hey, next time, Pastor Paul, you know, we saw this uh, family, the, the Holy Family, the Jesus, they were in the house. And that's when Magi came. So they are no longer in the inn. They are in the, actually in the house, living there. And the Jesus was much older. And uh, he was saying, that, is it possible or plausible that because a shepherd said, this family, young family from, you know, from, from Galilee, this, they are the you know, holy family. They are the family of a you know, coming Messiah. And then some people felt, that, oh, we need to help them somehow. I don't know, but it's plausible because the people were amazed. People were amazed. This shepherd who belonged to a class of a society banned from the bearing witness in testimony in the courtroom are the ones that God chose to bear witness to the birth of Christ and they became the first forerunners of the gospel preachers. Here we see again, God always chose the weak and foolish things of this world. I'm borrowing the Paul's you know, word in the, Colossians, I mean the uh, Corinthians to confound the wisdom of the wise. 
because ultimately it is not the messenger that matters, but it's a message that matters. Amen? What they experience, the message they got is true and real. That's why they were so excited. And that's why town people were amazed. God entrusted the most important news to lowly shepherds, the surviving manual laborers. God entrusted the most critical good news to the unworthy people. The Christmas story of Luke shows us the poor shepherd who had a great fears became the forerunners of the gospel with a great joy. How about us? Do we confess? Do we, do we confess that the Christmas is not just another holiday, but the holy day of our Messiah and Savior? If so, our joy must be greater than total sum of all Christmas material gifts that we received or all the vacation you know, experiences. So are we spreading the highest joy of Christmas with others? My last quote of the day, Martin Luther, in his Christmas sermon, told us this right on this passage. There is a born to you this day a Savior. Angel does not simply say that. Christ was born. But to you he was born. Neither does he say, I bring a good tiding, glad tidings, but to you I bring glad tidings of a great joy. Furthermore, this joy was not to remain in Christ, but it shall be to all the people. For this purpose, Christ will to be born, that through him we might be born anew. Oh, this is a great joy of which angel speaks. This is a comfort and exceeding goodness of God, that if anyone believes that, he can boast of the treasure that Mary is, the, 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 the treasure that Mary is a, is a virgin mother, Christ is a brother, and God the Father. Luke chapter 2 mentions a manger three times. Why? Manger symbolizes his birth was not well received or respected by humans. At the same time, manger symbolizes so will be his death. You know, manger is a small wooden box that feeds animals. And baby who was later laid on a manger as his cradle, later will be nailed to a cross, the cursed tree as a criminal. The baby who was waddled with the clothes will be wrapped with a burial clothes and laid in an empty tomb. I want us to remember and never forget, inside this uh, you know, wrapping of a Christmas, God gave us eternal gift of his love and his heart and himself to us. Let's pray. Christmas, Christ was born so that you and I can be born in God's love. That's the ultimate gift that God wants to give you. And if you really believe this a Jewish baby who was born in the poor family 2,000 years ago was a savior that God promised 
thousand years before his birth. And the Savior who really revealed his true identity and mission through the cross and resurrection. And this is all for you and me. To you, this child is born. This can be the Christmas that will celebrate not only on, on earth, but in heaven. So, if you have not confessed Christ as your Savior and the Lord, today is a day to do it. Today you can do it in your prayer, in your heart.